Well, always at Life Center during December, we usually dedicate that month to go through a series of messages. They're all Christmas-oriented. Uh, they don't necessarily follow the the Advent calendar per se, but they have those Advent elements in. We always seem to um, jostle them around. We already did joy in today's the day on joy, but we did that last week, and we but we we try to hit them all in there, and. Uh, I hope that you're, you're growing in this series and, and spending time just allowing God to work in you through them. And again, we hope that you'll come to our Christmas Eve service next week. It is going to be uh, awesome. It's going to be great. Uh, we're already planning and preparing. The, the worship team's going to be here this afternoon practicing for it, and uh, it's going to be amazing. Um, as we've as we've gone through this series, we've already talked about faith uh, and and how how we can we where our focus is, what we focus on. That's where our faith is is put. And if we're focused on the the challenges that we're having in life, they're going to impact our our faith. If we're focused on those things, but when we focus on Christ and we focus on what He has for us, it can increase our faith for what we have. We also looked at how when we face disappointments in life and when, when things happen to us, we can either see them as, as just the way life is going to be and how, how hard it's going to be and this is our lot in life or we can see them as divine appointments or maybe God has something for us in the midst of it that maybe he is going to use all things in our lives for our good. Even when they're hard things, they're gonna, he's going to use it for good in order to help us grow more into his image, to help us have a deeper relationship with him and rely on him more and on ourselves less. And so I hope that in the disappointments that you faced this year and the things that haven't turned out the way you wanted them to, that you haven't just allowed those disappointments to, to be there and to stew in them, but you've allowed God to transform you through them that you've allowed him to show you who he is in the midst of this and how you can rely on him. And today we have a new question to answer. Uh, it's one I think that all of us has asked at some point in time, and maybe this Christmas season you're asking it. And the question is this, does God really love us? Does he really love me? Maybe you've asked that question in the midst of what you've struggled with in life, in the midst of maybe some failures that you've had in life when you're looking up and going, God, can you really love this? Maybe you're looking at things that have happened to you, the offenses of this world that have happened to you, and you're like, God, this has happened to me. How could you let this happen to me? Do you really love me in the midst of this? How we qualify that question, though, can vary by individual. You can, you can look at that question in a bunch of different ways. And so I want to get us all on the same page as how we, we look at this, this uh, question. It's by asking another one, this question. Growing up, did you have a favorite toy? Anybody here have a favorite toy growing up? Right? Hands go up. Because most of us as kids, when we were kids, we had a favorite toy. Maybe you were one of those... You're old enough that there were no toys back in the day, right? It was only hard work. You came out of the womb and your parents put you into work, right? That's the way it was? I don't think so. I don't think so. You had something that you played with, 
you hung out, even if it was your bicycle, you had a favorite thing that you had growing up. Personally speaking for me, I received, one Christmas, I received this G.I. Joe base, right? Their home base, right? I still have it actually tucked away in, a, in the garage in a, those like big totes of personal belongings and stuff. And if you don't know, if you don't know, G.I. Joe, he's a real American hero, okay? He's the real American hero. Not Trump, not Biden, none, none of those. Right? None of those, no, not Elon Musk or any, any guy like that. None of those things are the real American hero. G.I. Joe is. They taught me that knowing is what? Half the, half the battle. Knowing is half the battle. They also taught me everything I know about fire safety. So thank you, G.I. Joe. So if you know, you know, right? If you know, you know. And if you're wondering whether I know a lot about fire safety, <laughs> It's a little questionable if I was basing it off of a cartoon, right? Here's the thing. That Christmas gift that I received, uh, it was secondhand. It wasn't even new. It was not a new gift. My parents bought it off of whatever Facebook marketplace back was in the 80s. I don't know, penny saver, word of mouth, whatever. That's where they got it. And it wasn't the cost of the base that gave it its great value. It was the love that I had for it that made it valuable to me. The same could be true for you. It may not have been the price of the toy or the object that you loved, but your love for it gave it that value. And as we grow older, we tend to think that it's our value that makes us lovable. We then decide whether God loves us based on our perceived value. And to really understand God's love for us, we need to see it the other way around. God's love gives us value. Jesus told his, his disciples that the world will not value them as much as God loves them. He was saying this while warning them that, that persecution was about to come to them. But then he says to them and us, he speaks a great reversal by speaking of the value of something that was common in their day, that was plentiful and often overlooked. He says this in Matthew 29 or 10, 29 to 30, he says, and not two sparrows sold, are not two, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Sparrows cost, two sparrows cost a penny. Two sparrows were so cheap in their day. And you're wondering why are they buying birds all the time? In their culture, that would have been uh, something that they would, they would use in their, their everyday life more than apparently we would. So you think of how much sparrows are even worth less now because we don't, we don't even worry about sparrows or barter and trade them at all. But he knows if a sparrow falls. He knows if, unfortunately, a bird hits a window or something like that or something. He knows, and he knows what happens to it and cares for what happens to it. How much more does he know and care for you and all the things that happen in your life, good, bad, and ugly? And just because it doesn't miraculously get changed the way you want it to as if you lived in a magical kingdom where nothing ever went wrong, it doesn't mean he doesn't care and he doesn't love you. 
knowing this, it's rather, relatively easy to understand. We can get that concept. Most of us here, are, we're all on the same page with that. We understand what I'm talking about. But why is it so difficult then to abide in God's love? To hold on to that and go that I know that my value isn't based on what I do and who I am because God loves me and his love for me dictates my value. How come we can't live in that and just abide in that and hold on to that in the midst of those hard times? When people put us down, when we have, when we have challenges in our lives, how come when those things happen, when we utterly fail at trying to be good, how come in those moments we look up and go, God, I'm so worthless, I'm so, I'm so broken, how could you love me? How do we have a hard time abiding in that love that he gives us, that value that he gives us. Well, remember what G.I. Joe taught me. Uh, maybe he ta he'll teach you. Uh, knowing is only half the battle. There's a walking out to the things that we know. There's a, there's a living in it, an actionable living in it. And there's also a bit more that we can navigate and understand about this story to see it in its fullness about God's love for us in the Christmas story. And to get that answer, let's look at the Christmas story, but from a different perspective. Because sometimes perspective is everything. Sometimes how we see things makes the biggest uh, difference in the world. So can anyone guess what we're looking at on the screen right there? Anyone hazard a guess as to what that is? Honeycomb, a sequin shirt, right? I, a couple guesses like that. Those sound, sound somewhat appropriate. Okay, now let's take a look at this picture. It's just a ribbon. It's just a little ribbon. But your perspective on seeing it changed drastically, didn't it? It went from a sequin dress to, to a ribbon, just a fancy ribbon. That's it. When we're in the middle of our circumstances though, and we're, our circumstances are right there in front of us, and all we see is the trouble in front of us, all we see is the work in front of us, all we see is our failure right in front of us, we see it and think, this is all there is. This is what I have to make all my information on. I have to decide everything on this. But from God's perspective, when he steps back and he sees the reality of everything, it completely changes the reality of what's going on. So today, let's just take a step back. Take a step back from your failure today. Take a step back from other people harming you, harassing you. Take a step back from, from anything that takes your perspective and, and doesn't allow you to see your true value in God's love. Let's just take a step back and see what God has. Because God's gone to some cosmic lengths to show us his love for us. He's gone to great lengths to let you know, maybe even today, to really know how much he loves you. At home, we recently began watching uh, the Hobbit and uh, the Lord of the Rings uh, movies as, as, a, as a family. And if you've seen them uh, or read the books, you know that 
they're not the lightest story out there. That there's lots of darkness. There's goblins and, well, not goblins, but there's orcs and trolls and all sorts of gross creatures and lots of evil. Evil seems to win the day about 90% of the book. But there's always hope. There's always light. There's always something that they're waiting for, that the heroes in all their broken flawedness are waiting for, hoping for something beyond them that is going to see uh, the victory. And I was telling my boys as we started to watch them that this is really, according to the author when he wrote it, this is about the wrestle. It's It's a metaphor for the wrestle that we all have with evil and death, the sin that's been brought into the world, how we all wrestle with it. And ultimately, though, there's a hope that we can hold on to. But that the enemy is trying to take you out. The enemy is trying to snuff you out. And it mirrors, that's the, uh, those books and movies mirrors the reality of humanity. And we know that the Christmas story, we know it. We know that there's baby Jesus and Mary, his mother, and there's Joseph standing there. And maybe you've seen it with shepherds, if you've seen a manger scene and, and, and that. There's stables and a star. We all know that aspect of the Christmas story. But if we look at Revelation 12, it puts the story of Christmas and Christ's birth into the middle of a cosmic battle in the heavenly perspective. Revelation 12 opens with a great sign appearing in heaven. It says this in verse 1. It says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and with her her head uh, a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. In these verses, we see imagery related to how God began to work all the way from Eve when the, in the childbirth pains and things there to Israel with the 12, the 12 uh, uh, stars on the crown to Mary giving birth to, to Christ, bringing a plan of redemption. We see in that there, that sign, that sign is speaking about Israel Israel giving birth to a Messiah that could save all of humanity. But this isn't the only symbolic sign we see. In verse 3, as we carry on, darkness is revealed. The woman gives birth to a child who would rule the nation, who would rule the world. But a beast tries to put a stop to it. It says in verse 3 to 5, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his head and seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with an iron rod. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The Christmas story caught up in the middle of an even more remarkable story of darkness and light in the battle in the cosmos. And as this cosmic battle unfolds, we see it mirrored on earth in the lives of everyone involved in the story 
of Jesus' birth. There's great fear in Joseph and Mary and Zachariah and Elizabeth and is calmed by a loving God. There's a dark and barren womb in Elizabeth that's opened. There's dark landscapes that, that can suddenly shine bright with God's glory. The pitch dark skies are the, dark, are the backdrop of stargazing kings from the east who come to worship. There's closed inns and dark stables that would witness the light of the world coming in to the world. And Herod, the king, who would bring weeping and darkness to a whole nation while trying to eliminate that threat to his power. What we see happening in the cosmic realm, we see happening in, on earth. Revelation shows us the chaos of the birth story playing out on earth in its reflection in the heavenlies. And one of the reasons why it's so difficult for us to abide in God's love is that Christmas is not only a story about light, it's also a story about darkness doing all it can to snuff out the light. For a variety of reasons, Christmas can be profoundly difficult for some. Darkness, sin, brokenness, and death leave their scars. And if it happens to be a particularly difficult time for you this Christmas, I pray that as we keep reading, Revelation gives you a profound hope and comfort in God. Because wherever darkness opposes us, light always pushes back. God's love, which gives us value, it's not passive. It is active and engaged in the world around us. Because as we keep reading in verses 7 to 9, it says, Now a war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Christmas is the story that, yes, darkness is real. It is among us. We walk through its valleys. We experience it firsthand. It is very real. But so too is this truth. Darkness is a defeated foe. Jesus will forever deal with its presence. And because of the victorious cross, he gives us the power to break up his partnership in our lives, to deal with the effects of darkness and sin in our lives through what's happened on the cross, through what Jesus has done to us. We can push back against the dark. Remember, God's love is not just for himself up in heaven but it is restoration of all of us with him that is his goal. His love for us is why this is all happening. As we keep reading in verse 10, 11, it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down 
Who accuses them day and night before our God? And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. This Christmas story, the story of Christmas is this. It is a story of reality. What happened at Christmas and what we see in Revelation 12 of a greater cosmic battle that it is right in the middle of. It's the story of our reality, of of God and his love for us and of Satan, of of the red dragon trying anything he can do to get you away from the light of God and the love of God. It's the story of Christ giving his life to conquer sin and death forever. Giving us a chance to have that light within us. It's the story of love. That greater love has no one than to lay down his life for another. That God would lay down his life for ours. His love for us. It's a story of darkness and light. A story of heaven and earth. A story of victory over the darkness. It's a story of life in Christ. And it's not just a story. It's not just a fable. It is our inheritance that we step into when we start to follow Jesus and become sons and daughters of the King. We can push back darkness. We can see heaven on earth and conquer all the works of darkness by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. The more we rely on Jesus, his blood, and testify to what he's done, the greater our push against the darkness is. When those moments come when we feel like we want to say those things where I'm, I'm useless, I'm a failure, there's no one who could love me, no, God, no way he could love me. And instead of using that script, there's a different script that he's given us that says, even when I fail, God loves me. Even when I don't live up to a standard, God loves me. He forgives me and he walks with me. And so I push on and I don't let darkness win, but I keep pushing forward in the race that he's given me. I change the script from it being my death and darkness to being light and life in him. Remember, knowing is half the battle. The other half is action. It's not loving our lives, even unto death. It's saying, God, your love for me is so crucial, it's so important to me that I will let all else go to hold on to your love. Will you let everything else go to hold on to the love of God Is your life more important to you and the way you're living it now apart from God more important than holding on to who God is and his love for you? To see the bigger story, we need a childlike faith. The faith of a child at Christmas. We need to see love as what gives something value. God has loved us so incredibly. He is engaged in this cosmic battle to bring freedom, to bring wholeness and relationship with him. And that's amazing love.
God's love gives us value, immeasurable value. So does God really love us? Does he really love you? Profoundly more than you could ever know. And today I can't convince you of this. I can only point to what the word says and what I've experienced, what I can say I know to be true because I've found it so. And I can tell you that I know that God loves you. And as we close, my heart is leading to respond to the love of God, for us to respond to it. Because his love always elicits a response. And as typical preacher, I have three responses for us. First one, if you've not received or responded to the love of God, I encourage you today to come and follow him. Accept his forgiveness, repent of your sin and brokenness. I invite you to do so, so you can begin a journey of following, of living in the light, of being his disciple. Secondly, if you have felt lost, you felt lost in trying to earn his love, trying to find value in being good enough for him, trying to be, work hard enough to be lovable, will you rest in his love as we sing this, this last song, a closing song? Just rest in his love. Allow him to speak over you his love, to touch your heart, say to you how much you're loved. Just rest in his love. Will you allow him to break off the sin that so easily entangles us? Will you allow him to give you his abiding love? And thirdly, if this is your testimony, if, if you're abiding in the love of God today, if you know your value because of who God is and how much he loves you. Would you sing with us as we close? Sing it over this place. Would your voices join the angels who worship God? Would you sing it over those who are either coming to Christ or need to know again how much God loves them? How much he's there for them in the midst of darkness? How much he's pushing back the darkness and wanting them to step into Would you sing that over them? Let them know. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for how much you love us. We thank you that obviously you loved us first. While we were lost and broken and going our own way, you loved us. You've taken the steps to show your love to us and then invite us into that relationship. God, help us to answer that question. Does God love me? Help us to know in our hearts how much you value us. May we not question that you love us, but may we surrender to your love. May we not try to earn it. May we not try to, to work hard in order to please you. 
but may we surrender to your love. May we push back the darkness by embracing your love, the light of your gospel. We thank you for your love, God. I pray that it would just heal this morning. It would bring wholeness and it'd push back on the darkness of those who feel like they're about to be swallowed up. May they find victory and wholeness in you today.